Hi, this is Joel Scrivener, pastor of Oaks Church in McKinney, Texas. And I wanted to say thank you so much for listening, sharing, and supporting our podcast. I know that today's message is going to inspire you, challenge you, and empower you to fearlessly follow Jesus like never before. Now, let's check out today's message. All right, well, good morning, Oaks Church. I'm excited to release my second book today. Thank you guys so much for coming, uh, whether you knew or not. But uh, this book is titled Wisdom for Life. You know, wisdom and knowledge kind of get tossed around as a uh, brother and sister, and sometimes we don't know what the difference is on uh, what each of those means. But no, it's been said like this, that knowledge is knowing what the names of the streets are, but wisdom is knowing how to get there. Wisdom is knowing how to get there. Uh, a lot of us could compile a list on what the world needs, which is the title of this message today, What the World Needs. We could write down this big, long list, and I'm sure there'd be a lot of great lists out there of what the world needs. Obviously, Jesus at the top. But near the top of my list, if not the top after Jesus, is wisdom. You know, as you guys have noticed, looking around the world today, common sense isn't so common anymore. It's not. People don't know exactly what to do, why to do it. Um, definitely don't see a whole lot of wisdom walking around. Uh, I've seen this quite a bit. People create their own storms. Then they get mad when it rains. And a lot of times we'll go to God asking for a miracle when we're the ones that just kind of mess it up. We're the ones in need, and, and we're going to make knuckleheaded decisions, but what if we started to live more wise lives, more mindful lives? So what would a wise life look like? Let's look at what the Bible says. We're going to look at what Solomon says, what his dad, King David, says. But Proverbs 14, verse 8 in the message, says the wisdom of wise of the wisdom of the wise keeps life on track, but the foolishness of fools lands them in the ditch. Verse 24, the wise accumulate wisdom. I love that. They don't just do it once. They don't do it twice. They don't do it every now and then, but they continually hoard it up. But fools get stupider by the day. Verse 33, wisdom is enshrined in an understanding heart. Wisdom is not found among fools. And we'll close with Proverbs chapter 4, verses 6 through 9. And, and I really like this passage. A lot of scholars believe that Proverbs 1 through 5 is not actually Solomon writing it. it he's pinning it, but he's quoting his dad. And King David, just like a lot of dads, a lot of moms, you want to give your kids some wisdom, some life advice, things to watch for, things to add to their life. And Solomon is, starts to quote something his dad that he remembers his dad telling him. And in verse 6, he says, don't turn your back on wisdom, for she will protect you. Love her, and she will guard you. Getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do. Another translation said it's the most important thing you can do. It is the principal thing. And whatever else you do, develop good judgment. And if you prize wisdom, she will make you great. Embrace her and she will honor you and she will place a lovely wreath on your head and she will present you with a beautiful crown. Man, I don't know about you, but I want wisdom. 
I, I want to lead a wise life. I, I want what sometimes we think is reserved for the age, but anybody can have this. You just got to dig for it. You got to dig. What if we live the wise life? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we love you. God, we thank you for this time together. Holy Spirit, I just thank you that you're here. We thank you for your presence. Lord, we wouldn't want to be in a church that doesn't have your presence where we reside. We just thank you that you're here. Jesus, I pray that you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a willing heart to understand. May we leave here better than the way that we came in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. All right, let me ask a question. Let's uh, get some honesty rolling up in here. Has anyone in here ever made a dumb decision? Where are you at? That's every hand. Some of y'all, sometimes me, I just throwing up both hands. We have made dumb decisions in the past. Uh, we're, we're grateful not to be in the middle of one. Uh, now, I know I've made some relationship, poor relationship decisions before I met my wife when I was younger. And like, you know when you're making a bad decision. Like, I'm getting this pit in my stomach, like I just know I'm not supposed to do what I'm about to do, but everything on the other side of it is like, no, Brandon, you gotta do this. You gotta be with this person. Maybe you've made bad money decisions in your life. I told a story a time or two ago speaking of a bad money decision that I made whenever I fell trapped into a multi-level marketing scheme. Fool me once, shame on me, right? But you never, Never again. I was a ripe young age of, I think, 23 or 4. But anyway, never going to make that decision today but, or again. But I remember one day in particular, I was in Costa Rica. I was on a mission trip. And the year was 2000, uh, I think, 8 or 9. And it's a beach day. And we'd done lots of missions work, lots of laborers work, fed the hungry, fed the poor. I mean, we saw things we could never unsee and definitely did some good, but I remember we were on one day where it was just a fun day, and we were at the beach, and I love the beaches in Costa Rica. They have really wild waves, and at that age of my life, I definitely loved the wild waves. Now, I just kind of want to still serene. I want to be able to see through the water and know what's on the bottom. Um, that's what I like now, but at that time, I was all about the big waves. I love to be put under um, if you can, right? Like you're just daring the ocean to come after you. Obviously, there's no respecter of persons. But I remember one day I was hanging out with my buddy. We'll call him Michael. And well, I say my buddy, my buddy for the trip. I later found out uh, what a character Michael was, and we were not friends. Michael was a drug dealer. Um, I did not know that in Costa Rica, uh, but we were hanging out. And we're in the water, and at this time, I was in pretty good physical shape, and what I did for exercise is I swam. And I would swim up to a mile a few times a week, and, and I just loved it, very therapeutic. Um, and that was my form of exercise. So you can imagine, I'm in the ocean, I'm 20 years old. Um, <laughs> I'm probably thinking a little bit too much of myself and my abilities at this time, but, but we're about 100 yards out into the ocean. And we're just kind of waiting water, having a good time, talking, and we're starting to eye this island. And there's this island about a mile off the beach. And I'm thinking, man, I swim a mile all the time. Like, I can do this. Um, we're totally going to do this. We start to talk all big, all macho, kind of throwing our shoulders back, like, just wait. Just wait till we get to that island. And we're talking big, but, you know, I had used what little bit of a brain I had at that time. And I said, you know what? Let's get lunch first. We're going to need all the energy we can get, all the fuel we can get. We go up with the group we're with, about 50 of us. 
There are no lifeguards in Costa Rica, by the way. But we go about 50 of us. We're at this double-decker restaurant, open-air restaurant, and we're having a good time, and we're young and dumb, and we start talking a big game like guys do. Do you ever grow out of that? I hope so. Um, and we're talking a big game, and words start to get the word, and eventually our pastor's wife heard about it. Jen, <laughs> your pastor's wife. And she heard about it, and she came over to me. We have a unique, special relationship. She kind of got my face. She said, Brandon, you are not going to that island. I'm going to be watching you like a hawk. You're not going to do it. I'm going to make sure you don't. Brandon, do you hear me? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Man, and I kind of regretted at that time. I was like, man, we got found out, never made it to the island. I don't know about you, but aren't some of you grateful that you didn't make every dumb decision that you thought about making? Maybe the dumb decisions that you did make, maybe they didn't bite you in the tail as, as worse or as bad as it could have. Unfortunately, all too many times we act foolishly when wisdom is an option. So what would leading a wise life look like? There's a lot of things, I'm sure, but we'll focus on three today. Number one, if you live to learn, then you'll learn how to really live. You know, you have to be open to learn. Have you ever tried to teach your child the same thing for the 15th time, but they don't want to learn the lesson? Anybody in here, right? <laughs> it's, you have to be open. To learn, you have to want to learn. You have to be willing to open up that book or receive correction or coaching from whoever it is or may be in your life. You know, contrary to popular belief, wisdom is not reserved for the aged. Like you, I have seen wise people that are young and I've seen wise people that are old, but I have also seen unwise people that are young and unwise people that are old. There's a difference between having 20 years of different experience and 20 years of having the same experience. Seneca said this, he said, awareness, not age, leads to wisdom. You know, Solomon wasn't middle-aged. He wasn't in retirement. When he received wisdom, he was a teenager. And he's heard his dad growing up saying wisdom is the principal thing. Out of everything that you can get, wisdom is the most important thing. And he has a dream and, and God visits him and God said, out of, and he's a new king, he says, out of everything that you can have, what do you want? And Solomon, the teenager, has the foresight to ask for wisdom because he knows if he gets wisdom, everything else can be added as necessary. He knew he needed wisdom the most. See, wisdom isn't just something you ask for. It's not just something that you pray for. You can pray for it, but like anything else, you gotta dig. See, over and over in scripture, wisdom is compared to a jewel. It's compared to a diamond. It's compared to a rare stone. Something that you would have to search for, that you would have to dig for. And in those days, you didn't just walk up to Kay's Jewelers or Zales or wherever you like to go and look at all the pretty rings and see what fits and see what looks good on your hand and then see what finds what falls within your budget. No, if you wanted a precious diamond in those days, you had to dig. 
And you couldn't just dig anywhere. You had to dig in the right places. As I thought about this, I started thinking about some of my favorite movies growing up. Man, I loved Indiana Jones. I was brought up on Indiana Jones, went to Disney, did the whole Indiana Jones experience, right? You know this picture. Those of you that have seen it, you know what's about to happen. He's going on a search for an ancient jewel or an ancient relic, and you know he's got one in his hand, and he's about to pick it up, and he's about to take off knowing that he's about to get away with it, right? And then this big black ball is about to chase him down into oblivion, and he's got to run away from danger. But if you wanted a diamond in ancient times, you had to dig. And Indiana Jones would scour the world trying to find valuable items. And you remember you would see that map throw up on the screen and he'd go from red dot to another rare dot in kind of an obscure part of the earth. And he didn't just go anywhere. He had to go to the source. You know, this world is full of information, but it doesn't mean that it's a wise source. You know, when I read a book, I make sure that I don't just read any book, but I want it to be by somebody that I admire, somebody that I respect. Maybe it's someone that I really like to read, but I don't want to just read any random book. I have a discipline in my life where I read a book a week, and if I'm going to read the right, I want to make sure that I read the right book, that I'm not going to waste my time on it. And I've also learned that if I start a book and I don't like it, I put it down, I get something else. Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett's business partner of over 50 years, said this. You're not going to like it. In my whole life, I have known no wise people who didn't read all the time. None. Zero. See, the problem with Americans sometimes, is we stop learning after high school. You know, the average American reads 12 books a year. Half of Americans read less than four a year. But at the same time, here's what's crazy. The average American actually reads a novel's worth, words of words, every single day. But we're doing it on this. We're doing it on our computer, on our iPad. Not exactly always the wisest sources. You know, one of the words that Jesus calls you is a disciple. When you become a Christian, when you become a believer and you choose to follow Jesus, when you choose to follow his ways and not just your ways, you are now a disciple. And the Great Commission is to go and make other disciples. If I was to ask you what a disciple is, maybe some of you would know it. Maybe some of you would say, man, I've heard about it all the time, but I wouldn't know how to define it. You know, the root word of disciple means to think things all the way through. You know, Jesus never intended for you to stop learning. He always wanted you to stay on a quest to learn. He always wanted you to maintain that curiosity. Maybe you say, Brandon, I'm just not that curious anymore. Man, just start the habit. Open up a book. Open up something ancient. Try to read. Maybe you start with your Bible, but get where wisdom can be found. Another definition for disciple, I don't know if you're gonna like any of these definitions. Disciple means a disciplined one. Man, we hate discipline. You know, I've had discipline in some areas of my life. There's one area of my life where I had no discipline. I would make all my goals up through the year and I would actually hit a good chunk, but I would never hit this goal. 
And this year I said, man, my word, discipline. I don't even do words for the year. But this year I did. I said, discipline is my word. And I'm just going to focus on one thing and make it happen. Man, we got to be people that are disciplined. A disciple is a disciplined one. You're not called to be ordinary. You're not called to be normal. The Holy Spirit of God is on the inside of you, and you're not supposed to live a normal life. You're supposed to be extraordinary. And the fact of the matter is, you are far more capable in life than you realize it. You know, so many times, I, I hear this, I hear this all the time. Brandon, I'm not a reader. Brandon, I don't remember, how about this? Have you ever said this? I'm not good at remembering names. Anybody? Oh, yeah, all across the room. Do you know how many self-limiting beliefs that we just take upon ourselves? Nobody ever called you that. Nobody ever said that about you. And if they did, it doesn't mean it's true. Man, what does God say about you? If I'm gonna have a belief about myself, man, I wanna know who the one that created me, what is he saying about me? What does he say about my potential? What does he say about my purpose? You're far more capable than you realize. You gotta stop saying those things. And you can be more than you ever realize. What did all the great people in the past do when it came to learning? Winston Churchill read so voraciously that a biographer later said of him while he was young that after he went to university, he became his own university. He was always learning. He was always diving into history. Abraham Lincoln had a hunger to learn. He read every book he could buy or borrow about the Illinois frontier. He enlisted tutors to learn from. He followed lecturers from town to town. And his reputation, he was known to work late into the night to master philosophy, understand a mathematical formula, or even memorize a poem. Benjamin Franklin taught himself five languages. Thomas Jefferson taught himself seven. But Teddy Roosevelt's nightly ritual is a classic. It might be my favorite of all of them. At the end of his night of resuming duties as president, he would get in bed, He'd take his revolver out, put it by his bedside pillow, get a book, and read a minimum of a one book per night, all the while fulfilling his duties as president. And we don't have time to do it. A publisher once asked the 33rd president, Harry S. Truman, if he read himself to sleep. And he said, no, young man. I read myself awake. I read myself awake. In the Apostle Paul's last letter to Timothy, when telling him what to bring him on his arrival, he said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, don't forget my books. Don't forget my books. And Jesus Christ, when he left the world 2,000 years ago, and he could have left you with anything, but one of the main things that he left you with was a book Wisdom is waiting to be found. It's waiting to be found. Proverbs 25, 2 said, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter and it is the glory of kings to search out a matter. 
Live to learn, and you will learn how to really live. Number two, speak to add value, not to fill time. There's a story passed down through history of young Thomas Edison. He was at school one day, and his teacher gave him a note, sealed the note, said, hey, give this to your mom. His dad wasn't around. He goes home, walks to the door. He's kind of nervous, kind of scared. He didn't know what was in the note. Didn't know if he was in trouble, what was going on, and he gave the note to his mom. His mom kind of tore the, open the letter and the note, and her eyes started welling with tears. And she read aloud, your son is a genius. The school's too small for him. Doesn't have enough good teachers for training him. Please teach him yourself. So his mom took him out of school, homeschooled him for the rest of the duration. We all know what happens with Thomas Edison, becomes not only the greatest inventor of his century, but probably one of the greatest of any century. Later on in life, his mom passes away. He goes back home, he's cleaning out of things, and he finds this old letter in the corner of a room, opens it up, and it's the letter the teacher wrote his mom. And he read it aloud, said, your son is mentally ill. We won't let him come to school anymore. Thomas read those words and just started sobbing realizing that his teachers saw nothing in him, but his mom saw everything in him. And she chose that when she was going to speak, she just wasn't going to repeat what somebody else said about her son, but she spoke to add value. Thomas Edison became better and bigger than she could have ever realized, and he took out his journal when he got home. And he wrote Thomas Alva Edison was an adult child that, by a hero mother, became the genius of the century. Man, what words are you holding on to? You know, nothing might show a person's wisdom so quick as the words that come out of their mouth. There might be nothing more powerful in life than the words that you choose to speak, the words that you choose to receive, and here's what's important, the words that you choose to live by. Proverbs 17, verse 27 and 28, Solomon writes, a truly wise person uses few words. A person with understanding is even-tempered, but even fools are thought wise when they keep silent with their mouth shut. They seem intelligent. As the old saying says, Better to remain silent, be thought a fool, than to speak and to remove all doubt. You know, I think too many people in 2022 are removing all doubt. Can I say this? It's not going to be popular. You know, you don't have to have an opinion about every single thing. You know, everyone doesn't need to know what you think about every single issue. Jesus asks you to love all people, not to tell your opinions to all people. 
Paul said this. He said to lead a quiet life. That sounds like the opposite of so many people are trying to do. We're trying to influence, trying to gather a following, trying to be loud, let people know where you're eating, what you're working on, where you're going, what kind of car you got, where you live. But Paul said basically this, handle your business, take personal responsibility, and let whatever you say, let whatever you do, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, everyone's got an ex- opinion. Be an example. Everyone's got an opinion. Be an example. Don't tell me. Show me. Don't tell me what America needs. Don't tell me what I need. Don't tell me what this church needs. Man, show me. Be an example. You know, we're not short on opinions. We're short on examples. You know, I've had a number of people come up to me over the years in other leadership, different places that I've been, and they are white hot in enthusiasm. Tell you all the great things they're going to do, all the different areas they're going to serve. Pastor, you don't got to worry about this anymore. I'm here. I got you. You know how many of those people two months later are nowhere to be found? You know what I'm looking for? Someone who is consistent. Someone who is serving faithfully. Someone who isn't making a big fuss. Yeah, it really reminds me, I know you guys probably won't want any spotlight, but it reminds me of Al and his son Diego. Some of the first ones here, some of the last ones to leave. You know, I'm looking for people that are here. They're here in the good times. They're here in the bad times. I think of people like Miss Carol. That's who I think of. I think of people like Jeremy Lewis, the media team in the back, people that are kids volunteers. I could go on and on and name different people in our congregation, people that are faithful, that they're day in, they're day out, they can be depended on. And I think God notices that too. The Bible says that God looks over the whole earth looking for those that are faithful. When you speak, speak to add value, not just to fill time. Number three, If you change what you see, you'll change where you go. There were three sons who left home, had big dreams, big visions, wanted to accomplish a lot, wanted to make a lot of money. They did all of those things. About 15, 20 years later, they all kind of gathered together. They wanted to do something nice for their mom, wanted to give their mom a gift. And they start, they start all telling each other what they're going to do. And the first son said, I'm going to build mom a big house. I'm going to build her a mansion, the house of her dreams. Mom deserves it. Everything that she did for us kids, she deserves to live somewhere like this. The second son said, well, I'm going to, build, I'm going to get mom a Mercedes with the driver. Anywhere mom wants to go, anything she wants to see, all she's got to do is say the word get in the car, and my driver will take them there. But the third son 
looked at the first two sons. She said, I got you both beat. You know what mom loves more than anything in the world? Her Bible. I bought a parrot, and I sent this parrot to a monastery, trained by 20 monks. I gave them 100 grand a year. That parrot can recite the entire Bible to mom. All she's got to do is say a book, a chapter, a verse, and the parrot speaks it to her. Later on down the road, mom sits down, starts writing her thank you cards. She wrote to the first son. She said, Milton, the house you built is so huge. I only live in one room, but I have to clean the whole house. <laughs> wrote to the second son. said, Marty, I'm too old to travel. I stay home all the time, never use the Mercedes. And when I did, Man, that driver is so rude. I don't want to be around that driver. And to the third son, her message was kinder. She said, dear Melvin, you were the only son that had the good sense to know what your mother likes. The chicken was delicious. <laughs> the moral of the story is when in doubt, buy chicken, right? Pride. <laughs> Chicken. It's amazing how two or three people can be in the same exact room and come out with a different outcome. They can hear something totally different. It's wild. I'm delivering the same message to all of you, and you're going to have a different takeaway. Whether you liked it, didn't like it, what your favorite part was, what your least favorite part was. But who you are, determines what you see. Who you are determines what you see. Some time ago, a Coloradian moved to Texas. He built a large house with a large window that he could look out and see all the miles of ranch land. When asked how he enjoyed the view, he responded, well, problem is, here in Texas, nothing to see. About the same time, a Texan moved to Colorado, built a house with a large window overlooking the Rocky Mountains. When he was asked how he liked the view, the Texan said, well, the only problem with this place is you can't see anything. Those mountains are blocking everything. <laughs> Whether you side with the Coloradian or the Texan, we all come to the same conclusion. What people see is influenced by who they are. We all have a specific lens that we see life through. Could be half full, a glass half full, half empty. We could see positive outcome. We could see a negative outcome. We have a natural bent towards something. But I love King David's prayer. Psalm 119, verse 18, the first three words. David said, open my eyes. Open my eyes. David is an influential king, the wise man, but he realizes that he doesn't see everything, that he needs God's help. Matthew chapter 13, Jesus repeats an often quoted passage in Isaiah 9, a passage where it says how people are, they don't have the ears to hear, they don't have the eyes to see, and how God is doing this great thing, but they don't even take notice. 
But then Jesus turns and looks at his disciples in verse 16. He says, but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. You know, that's why when I open up a message, I'll pray almost the exact same thing verbatim. I'll say, God, because I know it's a gift. God, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, and give us a willing heart to understand. No matter what we walked in here with, no matter what attitudes, no matter what circumstances, no matter what hard times or good times, God, let us receive what you have for us. Give me eyes to see. You know, we need all the help we can get in life. So it's something good to pray. There are two brothers whose parents divorced in their early teenage years. They both took it really hard. And when it happened, they both said, that will never happen to me. That'll never happen to me. And the older brother, now in his early 70s, he's been engaged multiple times, been in love with women, but each and every time he broke off the engagement, never got married because he said, that's never gonna happen to me. The younger brother just celebrated 47 years of marriage. They even count the weeks and the days they've been married for 2,444 weeks, 17,155 days. The younger brother in the story is my father. I'm grateful for what he saw. You know what you see doesn't end with you. What you see in life, your perspective in life, will be passed down through your lineage. It'll be passed down through your sons, through your daughters, the people around you. And they'll catch what you taught. They'll catch the attitude. See, it's not what you look at that matters. It's what you see. You change what you see. You'll change where you go. Close with this. In the movie... Ford versus Ferrari follows a team of American and British engineers and designers led by the legendary auto designer Carroll Shelby and the British driver Ken Miles. And they're dispatched by Henry Ford II to build a new racing car with the potential to defeat the elite Ferrari racing team. And one night, close to the eve of the race, the British driver Ken Miles he wakes up in the middle of the night. He gets up, starts walking around. He sees his son's light is on and walks into his son's room, asks what he's doing, and his son has been drawing a really excellent map of the race he's about to do called Le Mans. It was a legendary 24-hour, 360-lap race. And he looked at the drawing, and he started to show his son how he could perfectly execute each lap at the race. And his son, curiosity peaked, looked at his dad. He said, but dad can't do every lap perfectly. Ken looked at his son, he said, no, you can try. You can try. You know, you're not gonna lead 
perfect life, a, a, a life led by wisdom perfectly every single day. You can try. You know, if you aim for the moon, probably won't hit it. But even if you miss, you'll land among the stars. See, something that I think that a lot of people in this world and, and really believers, something that we struggle with that we have got to get a hold of is vision. Man, we gotta start dreaming bigger. We gotta start seeing bigger. We gotta start imagining what the world would look like if we lived wise lives, if we lived Christ-like wise, and really started to shape the neighborhoods, the churches, the workplaces, our communities. So that not only are we walking like this, but other people are walking like this. And that we're not just expanding our kingdom, no, we're expanding God's kingdom. And we're leading a wise life doing so. Amen? Amen, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we love you. God, we thank you for wisdom. God, we know it's something we gotta dig for, but at the same time, Lord, we just ask you to open our eyes so that we can see. God, give us a hunger to learn. Give us a thirst to know you, to know your ways, to know wisdom, what a wise life would look like. Holy Spirit, we thank you for our presence, for your presence in our lives, that you're helping us become more and more like Jesus Christ. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You're in the room today. You know the wisest decision you can ever make is following Jesus. The number one wisest thing you can do. There's probably a lot of you in here, you've already made this decision. But there could be those of you that are in the room, could be those of you that are watching online. Maybe you made this decision before and have fallen away. Maybe you've never made the decision. But if you made the decision, man, can I just encourage you to be confident, to be encouraged in your salvation, that you're not gonna do it perfectly, but you can do it faithfully. Let's all just say this prayer, this, this commitment to follow Jesus together. Say, Father, I receive your love. Jesus, I believe you died, that you lived a perfect life, and you rose again for me. I choose to follow you. I thank you for the free gift of salvation. I am saved. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks for listening and have a great week.